Welcome to the Zach Sweets Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Sweets. I'm excited for you to join me on my first ever episode of ZSP. Today's guest, the first guest, the inaugural guest is Don Thou Huber. And Don and I go back to my days working in the Missouri State Senate, where we really connected over music, specifically hip hop and jazz. And the purpose of today's episode really is every year I put together a list of my favorite music, movies, TV shows this year. I just stuck to music and it's very hip hop heavy. So if you're a hip hop head, this will be a conversation for you. Um, But of course, we talk about other music jazz as well. But I wanted to have Don on to share his list, compare our thoughts on uh, hip hop throughout the year. Uh, And on the second half of the conversation, Don and I start to kind of talk about the state legislature and his role and what he's seen over the years. Uh, some really great conversation there and um, some some interesting stories throughout. So uh, please join me uh, for the first ever episode of ZSP. And before we get started, go over to Spotify, uh, look me up and check out the Z-List playlist. It has all of my, my favorite tracks from each of my favorite albums of the year listed and i'll talk about some of this on the back end of the episode too my favorite track of the year um you can also check out the full list the full z list 2020 on the zach sweets podcast facebook page thanks for joining me I have a friend of mine that, um, before I introduce uh, the very first guest on uh, the Zach Sweets podcast, ZAP, ZSP, whatever it is that I end up calling this, I'm still working on it. I had a friend of mine say that uh, let's start a podcast is like um, our generation's let's start a band. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe it's your generation's. Let's start a band. I'm old. Did now, I? Oh, so. did I say our? Um, well, yeah. That's. Well, a, well, I don't mean th- to like separate myself, but I'm definitely. Uh, <laughs> well, no, that's actually I'm definitely. That's why you're you a great know, person to have anyway. on the. Yeah. yeah, you're a great person to have on the. Um, for my podcast, um, my first one at least, every year I released release the Z list, and that is um, a stupid name for a list of my favorite uh, music. TV shows, movies. I didn't bother with the other um, mediums this year. Uh, but Don, you make a, a list every year. How how long, like, I think this year is around 100. How long have you been making this list? I know you're you're a, um, a music collector. Uh, probably, I don't know, 20 years. I've got a list probably for the last 20 years, maybe 15. Uh, and I do my top 100 albums. And it's hard because uh, I buy a lot of music. I own a lot of music. So I, there's, I get about three or 400 records a year. So it isn't like I'm just listing the hundred records I bought, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it is hard to make a cut of a hundred only. Uh, so, but I do every year and, uh, I don't know if, for maybe it's, I don't know how much good it does, but it kind of helps compartmentalize things in my head. And I can look back a few years in the past and say, man, I really like this band that I haven't listened to them in a while. You know, I'll go back and listen to a record that I hadn't listened to in a you know, couple years. So, I mean, it has some value for me just to keep track of, because, you know, our, 
our tastes are kind of whimsical. They move, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a good way to kind of keep yourself grounded to like what you were thinking two, three, four, five, six years ago. Yeah. Do you actually have your list? Because that was something I was thinking uh, that, that I was thinking about whenever I was starting to make my list. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I can look back, just kind of see. Do you have your list? Just something you can pull up really quick. Yeah, I've got about I've got about ten years worth, probably I have my fingertips or close to them, you know. Okay. Okay. So um, uh, any and it's of those... good, like I said, it's just good for kind of like giving reminding yourself of some bands that you might have forgotten about or some, you know, artists you just slipped your you know, maybe they've disappeared or, you know, done other things. You, uh, in a bit we'll we'll definitely talk about like top five or ten or whatever from, from twenty twenty. Um but have you ever looked back at your top 10 or whatever and been like, saw a band or an album that you just in retrospect was like, you know, that actually wasn't that great. That, you know, like, yeah, like the Forrest Gump yeah. of the year when, when you had yeah. uh, a better yeah, one. Yeah, for the most part, I'm okay. I think my lists are still, I'll stand by them for the most part. There are definitely records that uh, tend to get like overplayed or seem over important at the time. And then a couple of years later, you realize that it really didn't age well, you know, yeah. and some things age incredibly well, you know, and, and that's and they're not always the bands that you would think or the artists you would think would age well do, you know, and so that kind of yeah, you always make mistakes. You always over kind of emphasize what's going on right now and kind of underemphasize the big picture, probably. And that's kind of where this kind of helps correct that in a sense where you could look back and say, man, I made these mistakes and maybe I won't do that this year. You know, it won't, won't value, you know, that was something I've, I've kind of noticed in making my list um, is that I have re-evaluated how highly I evaluated some people's music. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and it's not in the sense, look, I'm not, I'm not, I, I love hip hop. So, I mean, that's actually where we kind of connected down at, down at work, not just because of hip hop, but just music in general. So I was working for a state center at Kansas city at the time. And I was on the side gallery where the staff is at, where, where you sit, where you work for the caucus. And, um, one of the senators, I think you and I were talking about, uh, hip hop and one of the senators, um, St. Louis, she walked up and she's like, so what is this rap? And almost at the same time, you and I, very politely, I will say, just like hip hop, hip hop. <laughs> yeah, that drives me crazy, man. Like, yeah, you have to correct everybody on that. No one should be saying that now. Right, right. And, and there is, there's, there's so much. I heard, um, you know, I heard Method Man on a podcast talking about, you know, with rap or hip hop anymore. There's just like every, there's a there's a flavor for everybody now, right? It's hard to say this is bad or that's not great. And when I look at my lists, um, I definitely look at it and I'm like, okay, so how great is this compared to what you have put out and what else am I hearing? And that, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it, but one of my favorites, Childish Gambino was not as high on the list as I wanted to put him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his record was good this year, but I think there are a lot of better records, you know? And I think, uh, also, you have to look at where things are moving and, you know, what what, what is an evolving art form? Because hip hop is one of the maybe the only evolving uh, art form in music. And I guess you count jazz as I consider jazz and hip hop the same thing right now sure. because they've done a really good job of if you listen to jazz, it's coming out now. Uh, the beats are very hip hop beats typically. Uh, and, you know, these 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 art forms are growing and evolving still. We're like 
the other forms of music, or popular music at least, hasn't been evolving for 20 or 30 years. You know, well, and that's where that's look. I one of my favorites, and this is probably problematic. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to. Uh, one of my favorite artists of all time was the king of pop. I, I don't hate pop music, right? No, I don't uh, but when I look, at, almost everybody is kind of pulling and and changing, and and it's very different like hip-hop the evolution of hip-hop if you follow it um first off it just like it has its own regional flares i would say my uh favorite regional flair is probably the south um that's probably that sound um is probably my favorite um signature sound and i mean when i say the south you know of course for most people would think of um outcasts but like what's your favorite what would you say is your favorite um your go-to kind of for now or for like all most of hip-hop history i mean i always like when i think sure. of southern hip-hop though i think of houston you know and that's kind of like because i i also lived in austin for a while so maybe that's part of it but you know i'm kind of partial to ugk and bun b and that sort of like houston uh houston kind of sound um I like that. I, I also tend to like, uh, like right now, I'm really liking Freddie Gibbs, who's from Gary, Indiana, which is basically oh, Chicago. But then Freddie <laughs> is, you know, I don't know what kind of talk, talk about the artists that have come from Gary, you know, Man. you're your favorite right there you know like you're you're so. not wrong um but you know, we uh, know a guy who went to high school with freddie gibbs do we really uh-huh okay jason you know gross. small world jason no gross. way yeah oh man that's yeah. awesome yeah. Anyway, awesome. he, I, I told him and he was like, oh, you know, I went to high school at the time. He's from Gary, too. It's weird. <laughs> um, no, I you know, I think that's that's real to kind of talk about uh, Freddie Gibbs, because um, I feel like as I'm looking at other people's lists. So uh, I'll admit I've my kind of journey if you will, with hip hop goes back to finding um, the chronic uh, album. And my mom said, no, you're not listening to that. Yeah, and like, perfect. and like that moment I was like, I'm, I'm listening to this. What is this? What's going on? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> so it's just kind of grown since then, but I will say it didn't grow in like a very um, super ultra nerdy way until I kind of got a little bit older and accepted the fact that no other art form was catching my eye besides, you know, hip hop and jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, I have a lot of enthusiasm for hip hop. I don't have all of the knowledge, probably have more knowledge than a lot of folks just because people, yeah, <laughs> people think it's just rap and you just kind of shrug it off. But uh, anyways, I digress. Um, what was, what kind of brought you to hip hop? Well, man, this is, first of all, like I said, I'm a lot older than you. Uh, I remember when there was no hip hop, like for, you know, I, I can, I was born in the early seventies. Right. So, you know, the first hip hop really, you know, like with like rapper's delight and all that stuff that I, I lived in Minneapolis at the time I was a little kid and uh, there was a college station and then there was a black radio station in town. And so I would switch between the college station and they were down the low digits, you know, those mm. 88, 89s, you know, um, and I would just hit the record on my cassette on my jam box and I would just record the radio and leave. And then I would come back and just fast forward through and listen for hip hop stuff. That's because it wasn't easy to get hip hop. You couldn't see it. It wasn't on TV. There was no Internet. You know, uh, it wasn't you're living in Minnesota. You don't get a lot of hip hop going on in front of was you. Was it was it just a 
you heard it one day and you were like, what is that? Yeah, I heard it and it freaked me out, man. Like I, I'm, I like, I was really into Prince, you know, obviously. I, I would hope everybody from the area would be. And early Prince is still my favorite. And uh, so, you know, and then I would hear these other bands uh, like I like the Egyptian Lover, which was kind of, you know, that electro sound mm-hmm. uh, like Africa Bombata. Yeah. And so, you know, that was kind of the beginning. That's what hip hop was like in the early days. It was more of an electro sound and not like a, uh, like what we consider now, uh, whatever. So it, I some of that caught my ear, like like the Egyptian Lover stuff. And then I would just start scanning for it wherever I could find it. So I would get these 120 minute audio tapes, hit record on the college station and leave and hope that I caught, you know, someone playing some hip hop on the radio. And then I would make a tape of that tape and it would start sounding really shitty, but I would have my compilation cassettes of my favorite early hip hop joints, you know, and yeah. I'd play them in my jam box. That's how I came across it, you know? So I had to go looking for it. Man, when did it kind of hit you that you were onto something? I mean, and you know right away when you hear that, right? I mean, yeah, right. You hear Planet Rock by Africa Bombada, and you you don't you, you know, right? You do. like that doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> That's I mean, the only thing I could compare it to is the jazz I'd heard, like Miles. You know, like some of the Miles stuff had that same feeling for me. You know, and that was a lot easier to to have access to, right? That just sure. I I assume was playing everywhere. Well, more than yeah, no, not the I mean, kind not of everywhere. Miles. It's not 1940, yeah. but <laughs> but in the 70s, jazz was much more accepted, you know, and was much more as a popular art form. You know, I would at least it seemed that way to me. So I had heard some Miles that I really liked, and some of the rhythmic stuff Miles was doing in the 70s, like the polyrhythmic stuff, really got me. So I had heard some stuff, and I, I got prepared for it a little bit. Um, and then you know, at the beginning, hip hop was a lot of sampling disco uh, mm-hmm. hooks, and so you, disco was very popular obviously so i'd heard all these disco hooks on these other songs on the radio so then when you start hearing someone looping you know the you know i'm coming out or whatever you know like you can uh it makes that more accessible too combined with the interesting rhythmic things that they were doing uh so i like i said i had to go search it out you know which is for you like the internet wasn't quite there yet when the chronic came out it was almost there but you know you could you could hear it on them see it at mtv or you could sure. you know yeah you know so you it was, oh i it remember yeah and i don't and it's, that's that's what was so crazy about you saying that um you remember a day before hip-hop uh, <laughs> yeah i remember a day before gasoline fired engines um <laughs> <laughs> was this the like i i didn't know what the hell was going on but i remember eminem's like beef with mtv and like <laughs> i had access to whatever kind of music that you had the country music television whatever and like i had access to everything um yeah. uh, my mom probably didn't want me to have access to everything but i ended up finding the one thing that she would hate um yeah. she actually doesn't hate it as much i've and that's the other thing uh, I, i'm gonna say is like people do not like hip-hop because they think about they, like they miss everything that you were talking about with grandmaster flash and, and the mixing of the disco uh, hooks and tracks uh which was fantastic considering the, the audio equipment that they didn't have at the time but 
we're going to go straight to the NWAs and the gangster raps or whatever. And like, that's the problem. The artistry that you're talking about with hip hip hop has like really broken out of whatever mold people try to put it in. And I have found that when people are like, Oh no, I don't, I don't mess with hip hop. I'm like, yeah, what do you listen to? And then I find somebody that's close to that. They're like, Oh, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't bad. And I just I'm finding a misconception, a misperception of hip hop that still kind of persists, that slowly changing just by how much hip hop has changed. Yeah, well, it is kind of we talk about N.W.A. Think about like Dr. Dre was their DJ, right? You know, so really, it's just kind of happenstance almost that you have this once in a generational talent DJ who can move an art form forward, you know, and then he happens to be with guys that are doing gangster. You know, it just that could have been other rap. If you think about it, if he would have gotten with other rappers, sure. uh, you don't know what you would have gotten. And I'm very happy with Dr. Dre with the nwa and you know i have no i think i still think like fuck the police is really good you know pretty relevant in a lot of ways today so i don't have a problem with it you know but i see why it turns off certain people who are instantly offended by language or you know provocative uh art you know yeah it's it's definitely so uh i i Look, I had a moment there whenever uh, Dre, it was announced Dre had an aneurysm or whatever, and he was in the hospital. And I was like, come on now. Like 2020, (laughs) I felt like (laughs) like 2020 was um, just uh, on the gallows and they're like, any last words? And it just goes, yeah, MF Doom's dead. And then they pull the thing and then, you know. (laughs) Hey, speaking of that. MF. Did you you see he died? Do you see when he died? Like October, right? Yeah, and like no one knew for no one knew for like three months or two was, months. Or that something. was that was strange to me. I like even out of respect for the family, that's a long time. <laughs> so, man, in the pie chart of my life, waiting to see MF Doom not show up is a slice. You know, like the dude, like is no, I have he has not showed up for so many shows. I've been there to see him. Really? Um, so maybe people were like, well, he'll show up eventually. You know, I mean, they're just used to waiting for him, you know, I don't know, but like he, uh, I, I, first of all, I love MF doom. Talk about someone who aged well, that album for one or zero. Was it 2000, uh, operation doomsday talk about that. That sounds like that comes out today and it's, you know, it's still everyone. It's still all there. You know, it's on, you know, uh, that's an album that aged incredibly well that yeah. you might not have thought that back 20 years ago. Well, you know? and so, and that's where I'm, I'm weird. So, well, no, I'm not weird. I'm probably like everybody else. My impression of hip hop is when I first heard it. And so he is very much in that vein of hip hop huh. um, that most people are probably like, Oh, that's whack. We're doing this now. Um, but he was able to maintain his brand and what he did to where like, even, you know, new people are freaking out when they meet him and respect what it is that he does and he and it, his stuff never got old right like i feel like i yeah. heard i heard around um holy grail i started hearing a different cadence out of jay-z right uh and it's no, no problem because i think that was all around the time when he was like if you want old jay-z listen to old jay-z and he was trying sure, to be something sure. new and i i respect that but like even mf doom doing around the same style of what he did he his lyricism got better. He evolved there, but he never really had to break out of any sort of mold. He loved the space that he filled. 
So it seems. Well, he was good at it. So in very turns out incredibly influ- influential. And uh, like I said, you might not have thought of it at the time his album came out. His albums came out like 20 years ago, but uh, definitely hip hop went his way a lot more than the other direction at the time, you know, yeah. where you had, it didn't really go the gangster rap way, you know? So, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, that's where you, you know, saw like the thing. most deaths come out. And absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I really, I was like, yeah, okay, of course, you know, that was the middle finger from the year for, for one more, one more. I gotcha. This would have been year number what for South by Southwest. Oh man. I guess the math would have been 20. Okay. First went in 94 and went every year except twice since 1994. But, but like, so I wanted to ask you that because like 24 or something, number 24 or something like that. It would have been 24, uh, but they canceled Um, it. So they canceled it for 2020. They, They canceled it for 2021. What has that kind of been like in your music? exploration and finding new artists like how has that impacted it's it's terrible uh i first of all i live in the middle of missouri not a lot of hip-hop shows here even before covid uh you know so i travel to see hip-hop shows you know like i last year i drove to minneapolis to see freddie gibbs in a small club uh that was definitely worth the you know 500 mile uh drive and uh so but you know you can only do that so often a year you know i have a job and uh so you know south by southwest what it does is there's two advantages uh the first is access to artists from all over the world who uh you're never going to get to see again you know live most likely uh who are doing incredibly cutting edge things you're also seeing them inside a tiny little room you're not seeing them in a field or, you know, in a stadium or whatever. Um, so you can stand, you know, five feet away from the artists, 10 feet away and really kind of feel what they're doing, literally feel the music, you know, uh, and uh, it's to miss that. every. You know, the, I, I see about 50 or 60 artists a year, probably 40 of those are good, you know, and uh, that probably 10 of those are good hip hop artists, you know? So to miss that is a problem, you know? And it's, I don't want this to keep happening because it really is, if you're gonna experience cutting edge avant-garde hip hop, that's up up close, that's what you do. All right, so. How how did you go about finding, like, did you just go down a rabbit hole of whatever message boards or uh, I, I don't even know. Is that something that people do in twenty? Well, I do that anyway. I, I read about <laughs> music all the time anyway, but um, so a lot of times I've, but when I go to South by, like I know about some of these bands or a lot of these bands I want to see already, you know, mm. cause I do a lot of reading uh, anyway. And now with the, the internet makes things so easy, you know, again, like I'm used to, when I was a kid, like I told you, I had to look for stuff. Now you can just, you, you have a keyboard, you can find stuff, you know? I mean, I used to, I like electronic music as well. And when I was a kid, not a kid, like a high school kid, I would go to raves and I'm not a rave person, you know, I would sit there until I heard a song I liked and I would go ask the DJ, what was that song? And then I wait another hour and I might hear one song I liked, you know? And so now you don't have to do any of that searching. 
it's a lot easier to find things you like. If you like a band, you go on their band camp site, you'll see like maybe other bands that are like them or, sure. you know, with all the algorithms. If I, I don't stream music, as you know, but there's that where they'll, they'll, they'll suggest music you might like. There's a whole lot of ways to make it very easy to discover artists now. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, and yes, I know you don't stream music. Uh, I've, I've texted you before and like, Hey, this album's, this album is real. Have you listened to it? Like it's in the mail. So, um, and, and so you're, you're, you're right about how easy it is. Cause no offense to you, Don, it's cooler to be a nerd now than when you were coming up. Oh, I'm sure. Um, you know, yeah. I, I am a not so closeted nerd uh, anymore. I tried to be cool for a while, um, yeah, it's not but uh, it. it's not. And it's actually more interesting just to be a nerd. I'm just saying. Yeah, but um, that's for how long have you had your uh, radio show? Actually, you know, I stopped doing the show. Just so you, you stopped know, doing the I show. Had, I stopped doing the show. This is um, sad. But. Well, the COVID thing was part of it, but a couple of with, with work, it was working. So it was just about a year ago. Um, but I did a show from on college radio from uh, for about seven years in the 90s. And then for the last uh, 15 years. Uh, so, you know, I had about a 22 year run um, with the show and it's fine. Uh, that was plenty of time, I think. But, you, you know, also, the great ones, too, the great ones never stay long. Well, here's the problem, Zach. Like to me, one of the reasons I really liked doing a college radio show was you got access to a bunch of new music, you know, like the record labels used to send all the new records months in advance, all the new CDs, you know, and then I would be listening to the new Jay Dilla album three months early, you know, and that gradually stopped happening recently. Oh, okay. So now what the record labels do is they just say, here, here's a download of this track, this one track we want you to play, you know? So like, instead of getting the whole record and then, you know, I could listen to the whole new, what Stones Throw would send every record they put out there. I could listen to all these records. I can download stuff myself if I want to. I don't need someone to, you know, so That whole benefit of doing the radio show, of listening to new cutting edge music, having access to all the new stuff, that was kind of gone, you know? And so radio isn't what it used to be in a lot of ways, but the DJs not being given all this new music to digest is just going to lead to a further death of, you know, whatever this, whatever radio is now, you know? Uh, Because it's tough to, you know, before there was this element of you're hearing new stuff all the time and you're kind of like digesting it. If that's out the window, what are you doing? You know, at the radio station. I'm I'm surprised. Yeah, it's sad. That uh, people are still paying to do ads on the radio. That's that's something I don't understand because my perception is that most people aren't listening to the radio. And that's... You can talk about that being a good thing, a bad thing, but nonetheless, I think that only goes back to the fact that people just want to control what they listen to as much as possible. Sure. sure. Um, Why not? Yeah. Uh, and so, what does the, the what does a radio station bring to that? But I think your perspective is like the DJs are play, should be have been traditionally playing you good stuff, and you actually had some kind of like how the the um, news. Papers are supposed to be the, I don't want to say the check, but kind of like a good source of like 
uh, evaluating what we get from yeah a filter for what things. filter out the yeah. shit let's play the interesting than good new stuff and you know these are kind of tastemakers but also someone needs to filter there's so much out there oh my and goodness yeah so and that's the problem with the internet is what do you use as a filter you know and how what is your filter um but you know at the radio station that i figured like that was my job if i was going to have a show i was going to listen to all the new records and i was going to pick the best ones i liked the best and the ones that i thought were forward thinking and you know truly artistic and try to put those artists out there to move the, you know move things forward um and when the record labels stop sending the music and maybe just sent like i said like a download of a single or whatever you know I, what is the dj doing that it's like a machine can do that you know that's just doing what a corporate you know that someone tells you to do and playing it whereas this other way you know i felt like you were, you were kind of synthesizing this art form and so when that started happening i just the doing it kind of at that point wasn't quite as interesting anymore you know, and KCOU is a great station. Like it's one of the best college radio stations around. So I'm not, uh, we were lucky to have it here, uh, but still it's more like the industry itself is in trouble. You know, they're going to be one of the last good stations, but eventually when the industry's dead, what's left, you know, let's talk about your, let's talk about your list. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm pulling mine, mine up as well. T- tell me what are your top five favorite artists, uh, or not artists, but albums of the year. I'm just going to, well, I mean, I'm going to highlight like some of my, um, the best hip hop album for me was the Freddie Gibbs album was the best hip hop album to me. I don't think that it, I don't, I'm going to have to argue vigorously against any other suggestion. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it's Alfredo. And what I like mm-hmm. about Freddie, or I like a lot about him, but one of the things that I really like about Freddie Gibbs is he gets a new producer for almost every album. So, you know, it's really easy to get stuck what was in it a last, last Last year, because this was on my favorites, was Mad Lib, right? Yeah, yeah. And Madlib, he's he's worked with Madlib before, but uh-huh. that was stuff like in 2016. He made an album with them, and then and he then, made an album with them. It was Bandana in 2020, mm-hmm. great album. And then Alfredo, he did with The Alchemist, yeah. And this is with The Alchemist, and you know what? What I really like about this is that he picks a good producer and other good talent to work with, and then he go drop, he hops to a new one. You know, so his albums sound fresh and he doesn't get caught in the same groove. And I think that takes a real artist to not like to also trust that I'm going to trust my music to a completely different person. Like how your album sounds, you know, when you have Mad Lib making your album, it's going to sound like a Mad Lib album. Mm -hmm. You know, the Alchemist has his own sound, you know, and so to trust other artists to like uh, make your art with you and to keep it fresh is really I think it's a great trade. And uh, I I think his album is by far the best hip hop album of the year. Uh, You know, straight up. I'll agree with you. Um, I actually had that as number two on my list. And the only reason why I have yeah, it number two, the only reason why I have it number two is a little bit of nostalgia. And I'll go ahead and talk about it. My favorite album, I have to admit, um, was not the best album of the year. All right. And, and so I'll say my favorite album was uh, Mac Miller's album, uh, Circles. And the reason why I say it was my favorite album of the year um, is because I don't want to say I grew up with Mac, but Mac Miller was a little bit younger than I was. 
and mm-hmm. around a time of his like rise enough for somebody in the middle of the country to figure out uh to hear about who this kid from pennsylvania pennsylvania is um caught onto his ride and like rode it with him and everything that he released just showed growth, an incredible amount of growth, even outside of what your traditional hip hop sound was. Um, and, and this wasn't just somebody who's rapping. And again, there's somebody, you know, we go back to the conversation of what is hip hop, what is rap, and people properly, rightly understanding that this guy was a multi instrument, talented um, individual. But Circles, this album, Circles, I thought. I don't know who finished it, but whoever finished it um, and kind of wrapped it up, you know, obviously this is after he had passed away, um, just did a great job. And seeing every, seeing his progression from, you know, kids, his mixtape to this album, you just, I feel like this was the antithesis of Mac Miller. And even though he is not going to make more music, you know, this, that is, that's a perfect ending to his, to his arc, his growth. And I just felt like that was just such a, in its context, a great album. I fully admit that is not the best album of the year. And I go back to, you know, I have, I have some uh, nostalgic feeling towards Mac Miller. You know, I, Alfredo was the best album of the year. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I, I respect your nostalgia. I have, I have a lot of that too, for lots of sounds, you know? Um, so, but I think that if you just really think about that album, I still think it's not as good as his last album either. Like, I think Bandana's a better album because I, I think Mad Lib's a better producer, to be honest. But um, there, I think Freddie's so far above like what other people are doing. Um, Maybe Currency is the another hip hop artist who I think is, you know, I think is, and he you know also does, albums he dropped. Well, I have, I bought six, seven albums, mixtapes of his this year. Yeah, yeah, he dropped, um, he dropped like three albums and two or three mixtapes. I have, I bought eight uh, Currency projects this year. Yeah, um, he also does what Freddie does where he typically is using a different producer or he just straight up collaborating. So this year, Currency made an album uh, with Harry Fraud, uh, uh, Fendi P, and then a lot of others, you know? And you're looking at just different artists and each one, you know, he obviously has a similar sound because of how he, uh, how he how he raps and what he kind of music he samples. Um, but he collaborates with other artists to kind of keep his multiple mixtapes uh fresh and different sounding from each other yeah no that that fendi p one was was great i actually had it on the list originally and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious and it sounds like i i think i already know the answer i've seen where people do not include eps on their list I, and i went back and i was like i think that one with with fendi p isn't is an ep so i took it off the list and i was like you know what and i rationalized it in the moment and then later i was like does it actually matter uh, you include eps i saw oh, like yeah. i saw yeah. like one-off projects on your list yeah. um yeah. like so where's the line on what you well, include a, on your list if an artist if an artist puts something out and it's their art how do i not rank it if i like it you know am i going to say well it's not quite long enough there isn't enough there aren't enough tracks for me to count this as a work of art that's worth mentioning so to me it's like it's a piece of art if the artist decided i only have six tracks in me then that's what the art is you know and i think if you think about 
before the before you know now pretty much i'm one of the only people who actually buys physical media probably but the technology drives the length of the art like when the 50s we had seven inch vinyl so you know we had one song on each side so that's what was popular with singles then we had the long play albums in the 60s artists started making longer albums cds come out now all of a sudden every album has to be 70 minutes long because you can do it and why should the technology dictate how long the art is you know so to me if someone puts out a six song mixtape it's the same thing as if someone puts out a double album to me if i like it i like it you know there's no reason to put the filler on unless it's you know unless you really feel it you know no, I think that's I think that's real. I, I actually hadn't ever, ever thought about the art following the technology. I will say on yeah. your on the fact that you you know buy physical music, I, I can see um, I mean I can see your physical music behind you, um, and just you know for for what it's worth, it. <laughs> I, I just want to put my token in on where, where I wherever I can fall in line for uh, if you if you pass all of a sudden to get your music collection. I was thinking about that last week, man. I'll put, I will put you on the list. I'm not joking. Um, I have a couple people. I was thinking about the system, like you know, like you would Wait, have hold, to do. Hold, like, hold on, before so just so we get an uh, an idea, how much music do you think you have? Well, are you talking about okay? Um, if you listen, individual albums or like sets, like <sighs> listen, man, how much space got does it seven, take up? A lot, like a whole wall of my house plus another kind of yeah, too much. Um, okay, I've got about let's say I've got I maybe have eight nine thousand CDs. Okay, okay, so you were thinking about you were thinking about what are you and gonna do? <laughs> several thousand records, albums, maybe yeah, two thousand albums, maybe seven thousand CDs. Um, more somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I think that does like that. Uh, that officially qualifies you as an art collector or uh, as a music collector or a hoarder sure. or whatever. Um, and you know what else I've been doing is I've been taking the shit out I don't like, and oh, it yeah? feels good. Like taking it off the wall, you know, okay. like it's a good feeling because like then it's when I look at the wall, you like, have it, but it's stuff that you want. Everything on the wall is something that I, I, I like. It's like pin the tail on the donkey. You can put a blindfold on, spin around, and if you pull it off the wall, it will be worth listening to. That, that's the way I feel about it. So pulling things off the wall is a good thing. You know, There's no yeah. reason to sh- have something displayed if it's not something you want to listen to or you wouldn't suggest anyone else listen to. You know, that's or funny. if it doesn't have historical relevance of some, you know, or like I, you know, uh, I have Charles Manson's album. Now I don't really listen to it. But eh, it's staying on the wall. You know, it's Charles Manson's. He made a record, you know, before he went on his, you know, did his thing. So, you know, there are some things have value that you you don't want to listen to them, but you still maybe, you know, here you might want to play it for someone sometime. You got it. You know, just the fact to say that you have it. Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I have a few things. Like, yeah, I got it. Why do you have it? Well, because who (laughs) I've listened to it, you know. I don't put it on very often. One and a half. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) It's the untold story. Uh, So yeah, man, I was thinking about the system. Like I would have whoever's on the list, but then they, you know, you can, you have to pick out your four, five, and then they would go and then you get your next five. I was thinking about this in the shower a couple of days. Strange that you asked. Um, Well, you know, just like I said, though, I just want to put my interests out there. You're on, you're on the list. I trust trust your music taste. I know you got a lot of music. I like you can, can, the killing you could do with the jazz stuff, man. Like, oh man, be rich, eBay rich. You get my, oh no, never, never. (laughs) 
<laughs> so like actually what is your preferred um way to buy music and to collect oh, man, listen I, I i like cds i'm telling you and i know everyone laughs at me and i don't care i like vinyl a lot and i buy a lot of records too um but cds are very uh to me, they're the best because they're all wave files. Most downloads you get are much lower quality than the wave file and the CD still. This is a technology from the early 80s, and we still aren't listening to wave quality. I mean, you, you can get wave file quality downloads, but people typically don't do it. And so to me, you have a great format. They're relatively small. You get the artwork. You know, you have something I can I import them all. So I have all my songs digitally on my computer as well. But I actually have a, something that the artist intended with the artwork and all that. To me, that means something. Uh, I understand why many people in your generation and younger doesn't make any sense what I'm doing. And I understand the critique. Uh, but to me, having walls full of music in your home uh, is not a bad thing. Uh, I'm actually going to agree pandemic. with you. Yeah, no, no, no. I absolutely agree with you because so I grew up. I like to think that I was born in 92. All right. N not that I would like to think that I was born in 92. I actually was. Yeah. Um, but I would like to think that the people in that age group, obviously older, um, I would say like 88, maybe 92, maybe pushing it here, 94. We saw the end of the analog world before the digital world really took over. Like the, it was the, the digital world world existed when I was born, but it hadn't really become what it was. Sure. Um, and so like, there's a different perspective on that. But with that said, I learned the lesson that I already knew cognitively going through that, going through that uh, analog to digital switch, right? Like, cause I remember whenever I was actually talking to somebody, I remember when Spotify really became big and like they were doing the get an access code from somebody who's already in. And um, I remember making that switch and I thought that was a big deal. Um, but I actually had some music downloaded on my phone. I had Chance the Rapper's um, Acid Rap. Like I, I, that's an album I can listen to at any point in time, no matter how I feel, sure. no matter where I'm going. And I remember um, I had to plug my phone into my computer for some reason. And I kid you not, it like wiped all my music out. And I no longer have a digital version of that uh, album anymore that existed on my phone. So I actually on that day thought of you. I was like, you know what, Don, Don's yep. right. Don's right. Yeah, I'm right, man. <laughs> How many old busted computers do you have or hard drives you don't use or, right. you know, or hard drives that crash? Like that stuff is going to be there. You know, I have CDs that I bought in 1984. They still play. People said they wouldn't. I don't, they, they, they're still good as far as, you know, and I have some burned CDs that aren't good anymore that I burned myself. But sure. all the CDs I bought still play which 85 is a long time ago, you know. What were your thoughts with Dinner Party? You had uh, Terrence Martin, Robert Glasper, uh, Ninth Wonder, and of course, um, somebody that we saw in Kansas City here at the uh, Truman. What did, you, what did you think of their joint collaboration with Dinner Party, man? A friend of mine um, yeah. over in Germany hit me up. He's like, you got to be on this. You listen. Yeah. No, I like it. I mean, uh I did like it. And I'm so glad that like all these artists are kind of moving this way. And like, and like at South by, like I was telling you earlier, like this is the kind of stuff that the jazz that you hear is, is as popular in London, especially, but this new jazz scene um, 
that's really combining these different art forms into something new and um, something exciting, hopefully, that'll keep going. I really, I really dug the project. Um, for me, like my favorite kind of jazz hip hop fusion album is the Micaiah McRaven albums that he did. Wasn't he that? The, yeah, I saw that. I loved what he did with the Gil Scott hair on. Did you read about like what the album is kind of about and how it came about? No. Um, because it's really interesting, you know, because he did um, Gil Scott Heron did his final album in 2010 uh, before he died called I'm New Here. And it was this under the radar, unfinished kind of state last statement from this, uh, you know, seminal artist. Hmm. I mean, the revolution will not be televised is, you know, get more important and uh, relevant than that. Uh, so, you know, he did that in 1971. You know, that's think about how long ago that's even older than me, barely. But uh, so anyway, this is kind of his last kind of album kind of goes un, unnoticed. Mccraven is this sort of as we, we saw Makai McCraven together as well um, at yeah, Cafe right there at uh, Cafe Balloon in, right in there Columbia, in Columbia. Yeah, absolutely. which was a great show. And he's a drummer and he's a collage artist. And, you know, he does like hip hop percussion, but with like really kind of avant garde jazz. Um, so he kind of took that Gil Scott Heron album from 2010 and made it into like a sound collage of his music and his, uh, and to me, like that, that's the most interesting album I heard this year. Um, and I think that, and it's, it's called we're new again, a reimagining uh, to me. I think that that's one of the more, it's probably the, if you want to say Michael, that's the best album of the year. Probably. I know I, I told you that, um, the Freddie is my favorite hip hop album of the year. And that's true. Cause this isn't hip hop. This is something, whatever Gil Scott Heron and Micaiah McRaven were doing is something beyond what both these art forms are, you know, and he did it in a way that he transformed it in a way that real art should, you know, this isn't, he didn't just sample it and it wasn't mm. like he sampled it and loop, did a loop. I mean, this is a sound collage, like an art installation almost. And it, but it's very accessible and pleasurable too. Uh, very catchy. Uh, and uh, so, like I said, that, that Makaya McCraven album is far away, I think, the best album of the year. But it's not really a hip hop album. It has hip hop beats to it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, very intricate, interesting, polyrhythmic hip hop beats. But um, and then on top of those uh, currency albums or mixtapes, uh, the J Electronica stuff was also, mm-hmm. I thought, definitely worth a people's time. That that actually a written history or excuse me testimony, yeah. Yeah. Um, that rounded out my top five. So how I actually make my list throughout the year, to be honest, is uh, I just make it like as I as I'm mm-hmm. as I'm actively looking for this music that's coming out or whatever. Like as I as I listen to it, I, I throw it in the list and it gets moved up from there. And then I I will curate it as I go, just kind of reevaluate. Like, do I really want this here? And that is something that stayed in my top three for the year for the longest. Um, And um, it stayed in my top five when I kind of went and reevaluated. That's another album that just grabbed me, that just grabbed my attention. And I don't know if it was the unexpected um, entrance of uh, Jay-Z, because uh, no, yeah. no point in time is he uh, credited, uh, unless you're going and opening up the album artwork uh, yeah. booklet on yeah. the CD that only Don bought. Like you, you, you had no expectation that he's going to be there. Um, and first off, very well produced album. Uh, yeah, very course. well produced. 
uh, and Jay Electronica. But beyond that, it was um, it, it was definitely something that made me stop what I was doing yet again. Yeah, yeah that album is next level good. I agree with you on that. Um, also, you know, he put out that mixtape toward the end of the year called Act Two. Uh, what is it? The Patents of Nobility, The Turn, I believe. Um, it just came out and he has some really great samples on that. It's some of the, one of the better samples uh, on the on a release this year. So he put that out a couple weeks ago as well. Uh, I saw that. Good year for Jay Electronica, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I hate to say good year for music. Yeah. Really, really bad year uh, all around, but great year for music. I think every genre more or less had some some good releases. Speaking of genres and releases, we're a little critical sometimes of the mainstream. Uh, and I think I think that's something that is is definitely warranted. One of those mainstream things uh, is uh, for art, especially is awards uh, and widely regarded important awards. Now, don't get me wrong. Winning an Oscar, winning a Grammy, you know, getting your EGOT, John Legend, not talking to you um, <laughs> uh is you know that's 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 something to celebrate but sometimes we we do know you know we we do know the shortcomings so i'm curious we've been talking about hip-hop we talked a bit about jazz uh i'm curious your your thoughts on the some of the grammys um selections then you're gonna have to tell me what they are i don't even know who's okay. nominated i'm sorry okay. I, this, I don't know. Is, this is gonna be fun i can't wait let's go down to to rap here which they do call their album rap or their yeah, genre perfect. rap. Perfect. Yeah. Um, they themselves. That so. tells you all you need to know. Exactly. So uh, best. Get, like, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, for best rap performance, here are the okay. nominees. Okay. All right. Deep Reverence, Big Sean, featuring Nipsey Hussle. Oh. Did you listen to Big Sean's album? Yeah. 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 I liked okay. it. I liked it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great, but I think it's a good album. Like I own okay. it. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bop, the baby. Oh yeah, I liked the baby. I saw the baby down at South by. Uh, did you? And you didn't see him yeah, this year. Not uh, this year. Uh, two years ago. <laughs> Uh, he's from LA. Um, I have a, all of his, I, yeah, I like that. I like the baby, you know, I, okay. another good release this, you know, this year, two of them actually, but, um, what's popping Jack Harlow. Yeah, it's okay. I have, I had the single, but I didn't buy the album. If there is one, <laughs> the, uh, the bigger picture, little baby. Yeah. I don't like, I have, I didn't like little baby this year. Sorry. Savage Megan, the stallion yeah. featuring yeah, Beyonce. That's a good song. I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be honest. That's a good track. That's a good track. It's a good track. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything bad about it at all. I like it. I can't. Dior, Pop Smoke, R.I.P. Nah, not my thing. Um, So of those, you know, you got Big Sean, uh, the baby. So what, what would you, what would you select? Well, do I have to pick from those? Yeah. (laughs) From those, these are the best rap performance nominees. Yeah, you know, I think I'd have I maybe you know what, honestly, of all those tracks, Savage is probably the best song. I mean, I I'll agree. be honest with you. Like, I'm sorry. I wanted to sound cool or whatever, but it's, I mean, it's a good song. Man. So uh, <laughs> this actually is a great time to ask you. So I actually keep a list of my favorite uh tracks of the year. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you listen to this podcast, you'll know um the rest of the people won't. I lied on what my favorite track is of the year is like i'm gonna i'm gonna 
put it out there as is. But if I'm going to be honest, my favorite track of the year is um, Megan Thee Stallion's B-I-T-C-H. I yeah, could not yeah. stop listening to that track. Yeah, I couldn't. So, I speaking could. of Houston, like, you know, it's good. It's yeah, good. yeah. Um, so but, um, here, here's the uh, best rap album, all right? Okay. So um, the nominees are Black Habits, D Smoke. I, that was okay. No, yeah, not my thing. It was okay. Um, Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs, and the Alchemist. Yeah, that one. All right. That's the best. A Written Testimony, Jay Electronica. Oh, shit. That's a great album, too. That's tough. King's Disease, Nas. Yeah, it was okay. The Allegory, Roy's 5'9". Yeah, I think you got it. It's it's between Freddie and uh, Jay Electronica, obviously. But Freddie's better. I'm sorry. But the Jay Electronica album is, if it wins, I'm not going to be upset, you know? Yeah. Um, no, because I it is a that. good, it's a great album. So, Any but man, other Freddie ones, needs I to. I disagree. <laughs> no, Freddie does need need to win. And, you know, honestly, you know, I told you I've, I've met him and he is a super nice guy. Like, he's, he's also like super smart guy. When you talk to him, you realize like this guy is really smart. Like, he's thinking on a, a level that, you know, I mean, just from our short, short conversation we had, it was like five minutes. Like, I was like, man, like this guy is really thinking about stuff. You hear his music and you're like, obviously he's intelligent. His lyrics are, you know, really interesting. You know, he's great as craft. But when you talk to him, like you can tell he's thinking about diff- on a different level. Um, I, also- I really, I, I mean, I really enjoy, well, I really enjoy interacting with those people because you just know. It's almost like you're... Um, it's almost like a machine that's humming at a different frequency. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. see it and, and like they're moving and they're almost sometimes not even aware of it sometimes. Um, and that, uh, that makes me think of, well, I was going to say that makes me think of Jeff city, but uh, I can't say yeah. that that's true about yeah. everybody. Uh, but it does make me think about Jeff city. Uh, it, uh, sorry to make such a hard turn there. Uh, That's okay, man. <laughs> you go. But you know, we we've been talking about music since I think, I think actually day one. Right on, uh, man. No, no, no. It was good. I remember. I don't remember what year it was because the uh, the years go by. But you know, it's been several years. So. Well, speaking of the years going by, how many legislative sessions in the state of Missouri have you seen? I started in '01. Yeah, and everyone since then. No, I was a nonpartisan staffer till uh, uh, 07. So, okay. and then I was a partisan. I've been a partisan staffer from 07 till now. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen a lot, man. It's, it's great. I love it. You know, I do. Um, yeah, yeah. Me, no, I, I think I said to you, like, I would have <laughs> continued, I would have tried to continue working there if the capital was closer to Kansas City. Yeah, um, it's a terrible place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or even St. Louis, but like, for if there was something to do, when I actually, when I started, my boss said, um, So you're going to move down here because I was going to Mizzou at the time. Fuck no. I was about to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I must have had that, had that look on my face that said no, because I didn't say anything. And he goes, Yeah, I probably wouldn't either um, yeah your boss would not have been living in there's no yeah. there's no need to go there's no need to live in jeff city but i'm glad that a few 
really intelligent people such as yourself work down there. Um, and so hey, like, man, listen, you know, that place, you know, one of the things about it is, you know, there's no right answer to any of this because no one knows there's yeah. too much, there too many variables and you have a million variables going on. You don't have anywhere near the information. And here's the thing. No one has the information. So honestly, like it couldn't have a more stimulating environment just because it is, it's such a multivariate equation that you can't figure out. And to me, that's a great place to exist. That kind of, it's like an abstract sort of existence. So no, it really I, I, is. Yeah. Um, that's one, you know, my, my, my time down there really taught me just how fluid all that yeah. stuff actually is. Um, yeah. and yeah. folks are like, Oh, some of the smartest people work down in Jeff city. And I'm not saying that there aren't smart people working in Jeff city, but they're, the assumption that people have when they say that, so so I believe when I hear that at least, is like, oh, these people have all the information, or you know, they yeah. know. Where, it, actually, not oftentimes, no. Some sometimes the people making decisions have only a little bit more information that you, the general public, have, and they have to make a decision up based off of that. Or willingly less information. I mean, it's gotten worse since, you know, since term limits, since. Yeah. Talk to, to me real- about that. Like, so we are at a specific time uh, in America's history. Um, and let's not talk about how this is in America. Cause this 100% well, is. This is America. Yeah. This is, yeah, <laughs> this, is America. this is 100% America, but like, talk to me about the, the evolution of where you, when you started, what you saw and our path to now, I'll let you take it's that really wherever sad, you man. want. Listen, it's really sad. Um, the, when I started, some of the people serving in the Senate had served in the Senate longer than I'd been alive. And there were problems with that. They were entitled, felt they were almost, they thought of themselves almost like, you know, royalty, which is bad. Okay. But they, they knew what to do. They knew the information. They didn't rely on staff and lobbyists to tell them stuff. They had, they had done all this stuff. They had seen it all. Um, now, with term limits, I've been working in the Senate almost three, you know, three times longer than the longest serving senator. The lobbyists in the hallway have been there 10 times longer than the longest. That concentrates power in unelected people. And that isn't what our democracy, no matter what side you're on, no one wants to give more power to unelected people. You know, no, that I doesn't seem exactly like exactly right. The uh, my and last year it, I was there. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I was ahead, just going to say the last last year I was there, uh, my boss decided he, he wanted to write a bill to fix the term limits in some way. It wasn't completely uh-huh. getting rid of term yeah. limits, but to alter it. And uh, he did the math. And I think it was every three or four years you have uh, 70 to 80 percent turnover in the legislature. Uh, in every um, three years, you have something along the lines of uh, 60% turnover in the le- legislature. And, and so it's something I, and don't, don't quote me on the map, no, but, right. it's, right, but it's something to those, that extent where you have uh, like every, I think it's every two years until it, like recess to some extent, you have a turnover that is north of 50%, well north of 50% when you elect new um, um, House members at four years in the House, um, and then four years, uh, you get your two terms in the Senate with your four years. Uh, it's it's incredible the amount of knowledge that gets lost, but I just want yeah. to like bring that up. It's like, it happens quickly. It doesn't take a whole decade. 
No, it takes like four years, two or four years. I mean, you know, Zach, the caucus for which you worked and I work now, uh, you know, we have half our senators are new this year. Half. See what I'm saying? Like, you know, both Kansas City senators are new. Fortunately, they seem really good, but they're new, you know, and, uh, you know, both city, uh, you know, St. Louis, two collar district senators and one city senators new, you know, it's really crazy to think about. We have half our caucus has never served in the Senate. When I started no one that wasn't like that, they might have like one or two new people because someone died, you know, <laughs> or something, you know. And so it I know it wasn't perfect back then, but man, it is not not better now. I'll tell you that. So but, what do you, you know, do? Like, because, like, like you said, you have more for, years. It's, under, it's great for you. It's great job yeah. security. Um, but, like, me, how does? Because, yeah. and that was something um, I remember when I got there. I remember kind of just watching how everything was flowing, and there were people that would that were there who um, young people like myself at the time um, who were like really into it. And I, I love their their uh, eager energy. And I wasn't saying that I wasn't into it. I just, I was like, yeah, like I want to see what's going on here for a second. And I noticed people like yourself that uh, took it very, took the process of your job and what you're doing very seriously, but not personally. Um, yeah, fuck that, yeah. Um, and, and that was something that was missed by everybody who was not a lobbyist and even some lobbyists fell into that hole, but most lobbyists didn't, don't take it personally. They're just like, I'm, I need to get this done for my client. And like, that's yeah. job number one. And so whatever. Uh, but outside of that, the other, other folks in the, in the building take it very personally. And I understand politics is personal, but talk to me about um, how, that kind of helps you by not taking it personally to get your job done. Right. Cause your, your yeah, whole man, role is, is people, man. You, know, yeah, you got to work, work with them. them. You got to make deals when you can. And if you're still bitter about them passing some bill you didn't like, you know, and it, you have a toxic relationship, how are you going to cut a deal with someone tomorrow? You know, at some point you have to accept your differences and you have to then work with them to the next thing, you know, and, if and I, to be fair, like their staff, they treat me well and I treat them well. We don't fight, you know. You didn't see us fighting with the other side staff wise, you know. Um, we, it, that that's more of like a senator thing. But man, like, it's you got to be able to separate yourself and just think, you know, you do your best. You try to make things, take bad bills and make them better, and you try to pass some good stuff. And if it doesn't happen, it just you move on. You try again. You can't take it home with you and, you know get all upset about it and then have it affect your personal life. It just isn't healthy, you know? Okay. But Don, for the folks that don't believe in making a bad bill better, mm-hmm. yeah. what's, like what, a, what do you mean? And B, why, why should that be acceptable? If you, if you care about any of this stuff? Well, man, to me, like, what am I, what are you doing there? If you're not going to do that, you know, you're, you're going to let, you have a chance to, there's a bad bill. that's going to pass. Um, and you have a chance to make it less toxic, less harmful to the poor, you know, the least among us, right? How do you not do that? You know, how do you not improve it and try to save as many people as you can? You know, and it sucks. You know, we don't. They, the policy that's passed is, 
you know what it is. I mean, it's terrible on many levels. But if I'm not going to try to make it better, then what am I doing? You know, why am I going to work? So to me, like I look at every bill that comes by and if I can see a way to make it better, if I can attach something to it to help someone else, you know, that, that that's that that's our job. Right. I mean, if it isn't, then are we there just to make things so terrible that the whole thing falls apart? I mean, is, is that our goal? Which I don't think is a healthy way to look at your culture, you know, and look at the government that you have to live under. Let's try to do you, make it do burn you think, down, you know? On that note, do you think, uh, you mentioned you had to be, you were nonpartisan staff. Um, for, so you For the worked, first five years, yeah. For five yeah. years. So you worked with uh, Republicans, Democrats, no independents at the time, I don't mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Working with both parties now after being a nonpartisan uh, staffer, yeah. is your opposition – I are they good people? Do they no. mean well? Do no, they, most of them – They want to no. see the best. Some of them – I would say most of them are not good people and they don't mean well. No, I hate – I wish I could say something different. I think that uh, – well, maybe they're good people and they're polite, you know, but to me polite and good aren't the same thing. Are they misguided? Um, well – I do. Honestly, I think a lot of them just have a view of the world that I find uh, offensive and immoral, you know, and you can't separate yourself from that. If you're trying to make, you know, if you're if you're moved by uh, if you're scared by like racism, they use racism to like excite people. If you're if you're if you're moved by these arguments to like keep women down, to keep their your place in society as a white male Protestant, like if that's threatened in any way by any other group getting any benefit or having themselves, you know, if you're one of those people, I don't think you're a good person, man. You know, I just don't. Now. I can still work with you because there are going to be times when I'm still going to have to try to make your bill less shitty, right? But I don't have to say you're a good person and what you're doing is okay because it isn't, you know? Denying poor people health care is not okay, you know, especially when it just isn't okay. And you're a good person wouldn't do that, you know? You wouldn't look at someone who is sick, someone who is in pain and say you don't deserve health. You don't deserve, you know, how a, a good person doesn't do that. So I don't think they're good people, man. And I'm, I'm not trying to be a dick, but, you know, but I can still work with them and be polite and, you know, engage with them because there's going to be another bill where I'm going to need them to help with this or that or, you know, help me get something on one of their bills. So, you know, um, but I don't think their intentions are good. What's the <laughs> I don't want to continue focusing on the bad stuff. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. What's the dirtiest thing you've seen in Jeff City? The dirtiest? Yeah. Procedurally, a speech. Oh, okay. Um, oh. oh, okay. I thought you were t- <laughs> yeah, oh, No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, dude, I've seen some shit. Find her point on that. <laughs> Within the just... realms of the machine uh, known as governance. And let's okay, say. thank you. I was like, all right, man, we were going to, this is going to go south real quick. <laughs> um, you know, man, so much of it is is that they, they really don't, they have such majorities that they really don't have to follow the rules or do follow their own stuff. And they, sometimes they try, or they make it look like they try, but uh, I've seen, you know, you see lots of just points of order rulings that are obviously just partisan. You know, if you're talking about just that kind of stuff where, and also there's all this other corruption that goes on all the time where, you know, the, you know, the, 
the majority monetizes the process, you know, to where like what, you know, they're very good at it. And I give them credit, you know, for being good at this thing that I find immoral, but they're, you know, that they do is, you know, if you want to bill her to the floor, you know, how much, you know, there's a lot of donations involved and they've monetized it. They follow the law. I'm not saying they're breaking the law because they're not, but the, the process has been, is monetized. And to me, that it's it's the everyday mon- special interest monetized process. That's the dirtiest thing. When it, in general, is just the whole what the whole process how it works. Clean Missouri didn't change anything. Well, it's done now. That got reversed. All they did was leave the bad stuff. It, it, it was the most epic failure in um, my time, probably. I mean, they Goodness. think about this, man. They put like they put it on the 18 ballot. When gave the Republicans two years to undo it, they not only undid it, but they made parts worse. Specifically, um, you know, the old language said you have to divide these districts up based on total population, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That means everybody, right? That means yeah. a five-year-old. That means a person who is not present legally. You know, that means someone who's incarcerated. Um, okay. Now, they changed it when they redid Clean Missouri to just – they got rid of the word total, okay? Now, that might not seem like a big deal, bracketing out one word, right? But total population is a lot different than population because you could argue that population could just be voting age population. Mm -hmm. You're talking about districts, right? So if you divide the state based up on voting age, well – those you're giving a lot more power to the white rural Missouri that's old and you're Mm -hmm. taking away representation from the cities, which are young, you know, and have people who are some people who are not present legally and can't vote, you know? So you have like, now you're skewing resources and representation out even further gerrymandering, even before you start the gerrymandering, you're gerrymandering with your input. You know, so that's what happened. Not only did clean Missouri get overturned, they made things worse when the Republicans got to rewrite it. You don't take that word out for no reason. You know, <laughs> what's what's the most ridiculous thing you've seen in Jeff City? Oh, man. And, and not necessarily ridiculous. Like, oh, my goodness, this was ridiculous. But like just outright. Am I seeing this? Oh, man. There's so much. It's like I'm, I'm drawing blank, like weird things. I've seen weird things. Because like not the um, weirdest thing, but one thing that I can think of is <laughs> I think it was um, a senator or a representative at the time who had uh, cut the head off of a chicken. And uh, he's and, a senator now. He He's a new yeah. senator now. Yeah. 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 And somebody yeah. was in one of his hearings in a chicken yeah. suit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, he had just he sacrificed a chicken on Facebook Live. Uh <laughs> yes. for an abortion debate because it all makes sense, you know. Um and uh yeah, you can't make that up. Oh, I've seen I saw one of the old senators come out with like a uh he had a suit on and a tie but no shirt. <laughs> And he was based because our Senate rules don't say anything about a shirt. They said you have to wear sure. a coat, 
you know. Sure. <laughs> so he came out, he has gray hair coming out everywhere. Oh guy. man. Yeah, and he was just walking around <laughs> like that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, that's sort of those things that gets burned in your head. Yeah, you, you wish forget. you could forget, but uh, yeah. you know, my favorite one, my fa- you were there for my favorite story. I tell people uh, in terms of like you're, you're never going to believe this ha- actually happened, um, but. I, I, it was towards the end of session and things get heated, things get weird in that building. And the debate on the floor, don't remember what it was about, but there was a senator out of Greene County, uh, Springfield area, senator out of uh, Kansas City were debating. And it was just people were hot. People were mad. And these two were trying to say, hey, everybody, we need to oh. Down. I know what you're talking. And um, as this day is kind of going, because it's been, it was one of those one of those days where it just kept ticking. The temperatures kept ticking up, yeah. ticking up, ticking up. Um, but as this is happening on the floor, everyone knows what's going on. You know, there's people that come down to Jeff City to advocate for their issue, and there are these uh, women who would dress up like the Handmaid's Tale because um, yeah. it was really yeah, yeah. big at the time and so they had their bonnets on and they were looking down and they were actually uh, I think this is the same legislative session as the, the chicken incident um, but um, so they were down there to pro, um, you know, in demonstration against uh, one of the abortion bills and I remember so if you're looking at the uh, chamber uh, you know, north, south, east, and west. On the east side, you have the dais, and on each side of the dais are two doors to enter in and outside of the Senate chamber. And the uh, dais on the east side is facing west, and it's in a half U shape, and that's where all the senator's desk is. And above that, on the second floor, is where the gallery, where just the public gets to sit. And as this debate's going on, the senator from Springfield says, Senator, will you join me in a kumbaya? And I was just was like, this, this isn't <laughs> like, I, and I remember like all of us on the side, the staff just kind of like shot glad, like glances at each other. Like, wait, did he just say, did you hear that? Did I just, I didn't hear that. And I swear the senator from Kansas City was just like in, in their head had to be like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm singing this and they joined in, but as this is kind of happening and they're singing Kumbaya, you had the women protesting in the bonnets and everything, not just walk into the gallery, but just stand. They didn't sit. They stood. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. go ahead. It was like a Tarantino movie. You thought they were going to pull like the guns from under their robes and just start spraying. Like they marched in and they stood over and then there's a Kumbaya, some songs happening. Everyone looks weird. Weird. Yeah, I just strange. I just remember going, I'm out and, and turning around yeah, and leaving. Yeah, well, like, you have good instincts, man. Uh, <laughs> and also, you know, we have all these senators are carrying guns, not all, several senators Some of these, yeah, on the yeah. floor. And you think about the place is all marble, you know. Oh man. So let's say someone pulls out, they got they're gonna pull their guns out, and you know they can't shoot, right? They're just you know, <laughs> the shit's pointing. gonna be bouncing off the marble, oh, that hole everywhere. <laughs> it's gonna be a blender, you know. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, you got out of there, like you said, like you you looked up and said, I'm I wasn't waiting, yeah. <laughs> I know it man. was you it was already luxury. weird. It it was already weird with the singing and when they walked yeah. in. No, that's <laughs> it's like the, that like in you know, my I took head. A picture. I took a picture of it, man. Of, you of did. The yes. Of the floor leader standing, looking behind and like doing the double take at the because he freaked out because he didn't know they were there either. <laughs> 
It was creepy. I wasn't the only person creeped out. It was creepy. Uh, I, I took but a their timing, oh my gosh, their timing <laughs> couldn't have been any better uh, or worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, that's so one thing. Look, I am approaching um, my 30s and um, I have been reflecting on what I've learned in my 20s that I wish I knew when I was entering my 20s. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of things, but one of them is learning when to get out. <laughs> Just it, learning when to bail, essentially. And that day was one of those like, you know, if I stay, <laughs> I swear something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and it's your fault almost. Like if something bad yeah, happens, exactly. like, I should have known if better. That, if that good. thought comes to mind and you do the opposite, it is 100% your fault. Yeah. You're like, man, I should, I knew better. I, I didn't need I, to get sprayed in the. And again, with all the other senators pulling their guns and just. Yeah. You yeah. Know. And, you know, <laughs> somehow still singing Kumbaya as a what are you shooting just that kumbaya shit was one of the strangest things i've ever because and it went on for a long time like it, it wasn't just a few bars like they went full kumbaya with the kumbaya like you it know oh <laughs> uh, they weren't ready oh my goodness the senator from from kansas City was not ready but they rolled with it it was a good moment everybody felt better after the handmaids left uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah man well, hey, man. Uh, hey, John, this has been great, man. I, I really appreciate you jumping on and, and uh, doing the first episode of, uh, of my podcast with me. This uh, We'll have to make this an annual thing. Uh, sure. We're talking we running down the list. And, uh, you know, if there's anything crazy uh, going on in Missouri politics, maybe I could call you. You know, I, I thought about this. this was, it would have been a great idea to have a podcast when I was still working there because um, those were the great years. And uh, if yeah. you don't know anything about those, look those up. It's a short Hell read, yeah. but a crazy one. Speak, hey, speaking uh, of Wednesday, man, like real quick, I know you got to go. So, you know, when the U.S. Capitol got stormed, yeah. um, I was in the minority leader's office. And, you know, the office, um, floor to ceiling window, of the front lawn of the Capitol. Right. And you look out there and it's just like all these dudes in camo and big, huge guns and guns. flags. Yeah, yeah, big guns, you know, like the. Assault rifle type rifles, guns. yeah, yeah. And uh, um, like, how many folks were out front? Would you guess? It was it was well well over. It was a couple hundred probably. Uh, you know? Enough. It wasn't like packed shoulder to shoulder, you know. Sure, but enough. But enough, and you know, you don't ever want to see a bunch of dudes like that with guns roaming around, and you know. Anyway, so the, what I'm trying to say is though, like, there was nothing for them to do, and they they look confused. Like, I didn't feel sorry for them, but like, it's like they came here to the Capitol looking to do some shit, but there was like no barricade to knock over. There was no, you know, there was just no nothing to do. They just kind of like wandered around <laughs> with their guns and their flags. And then they just kind of like disappeared and dissipated over the afternoon. It was it was a really surreal sight, you know, Um it's like they were I mean, they watching what was going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, they were. It's like they were watching TV and they thought, "All right, it's on," you know. And I'm gonna, you know, don't tread on me. It's come, you know, and they're gonna come to our capital and run over everything. And they get there, and it's just like <laughs> nothing to do, man. <laughs> just but wander around and go home. What did y'all think? Because <laughs> that was my first thought. Um, being, you know, being a former staffer, it's just like. What I don't even know where my head would be at in that moment. 
if you I know, was man. not just there, but even in the capital seeing folks outside, I, I would be yeah. like, um, should I be worried? Because you and I know Capitol Police. I can count on one hand how many people make up Capitol Police. Yeah, that's true. Still, men know it's scary, right? You know, you don't need a but these guys didn't really I think they they didn't know it was in a different capital or something. You know, I think they might have thought like they were going to the I don't know. <laughs> because they just looked weirdly surprised and let down. <laughs> Nothing ever happens here, man. I got news for you. <laughs> like, Nothing. Yeah. Damn so thing. <laughs> Anyway, so that that was interesting that day. It was fine, though, man. Nothing bad happened. It was a good day. I was busy at work. I was actually didn't even know what was going on until I looked out in the lawn. I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, that's so so strange. It's so strange. I just they put a case. I I don't even know. Or something. I don't know. You know, like (laughs) you're a lot more chill than I am. I would have been like, all right, so this is how we're getting out. Yeah, I mean, I'm sad. Like I said, I was more afraid of the hands made tale. Like, you know, when oh they marched goodness. in Tarantino style, that scared me more. Uh, thanks for jumping on, man. This is this was great. It's been uh, good, Zach. Top it up, and I think I think we'll have something good. So um, appreciate you. Let me know, and uh, let, let me know. I, I'll listen. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have it out, and <clears throat> excuse me, I'll definitely let you know when it when it's out. So, right on, man. Well, it was great talking to you. Nice talking to you. Good luck this week at fantasy, man. Yeah, I hope thanks, you, uh, I wish you well against me. <laughs> so what I want to start doing with every episode is ending each episode with kind of my final thoughts and you know, not just on this, but really my final thoughts in general and kind of like my take. And maybe I'll brand this or come up with a fancy, clever name for it. But this is really just going to be my opportunity to talk my talk. Of course, I had plenty of time during the episode, but I wanted to But I want to take this time to be a little bit more pointed and intentional. Again, I promise this whole podcast not just this episode but this uh what will be the, uh this podcast was is going to be insightful hopefully uh, informative and um a lot of fun and so i'm going to keep it light on this first first ever outro final thoughts so in the episode i talk about possibly lying about my favorite uh, track of the year, which let me go back and just say, check out my favorites, uh, the full list. I think there's about 75 uh, albums on my Facebook page. And under that, you'll see my list of favorite tracks for the year. And on that list, um, I do have B.I.T.C.H. by Megan Thee Stallion. I just love the hook. I love uh, the... I love the backbeat, and uh, really, I just love T- Tupac. But that's that's a whole nother conversation. But my favorite track of the year is typically just a track that not only I couldn't get out of my head, but something that really connects with me uh, throughout the year, and that really sticks with me. And you know, last year was Koji Radicals' "Can't Go Back," and that was a conversation about just not going back to a place where he just didn't he felt inadequate. And I really, really connected with that well this year was also kind of my why not year and uh that is why my favorite um my favorite track 
of the year is not actually B-I-T-C-H, but instead is actually a track by somebody I didn't know before this year. Doesn't mean that she wasn't around, but uh, my favorite track of the year goes to Caroline Rose and Feel the Way I Want. I encourage you to go look up her uh, this song and look her up on YouTube. Her music video is so carefree. Uh, it's an individual who is at the wrong place and needs to be somewhere else. And so that's her whole, the whole gist of the music video is her getting to where she needs to be. Uh, and the end of it's just hilarious. But it's just kind of this easygoing feeling. And in a year where anything but easygoing would be the description, I needed this. I love the lyrics as she just opens this song. I got this feeling, baby, it's just madness. I'm so in love with myself, it's romantic. And the chorus of the song is feel the way I want to. So many people are telling you how to feel, what to do. And, um, you know, for this and the song and what really connects with me is, is, you know, sometimes you just gotta do what you feel and what moves you. And then last year we saw passionate, demonstrations for conversations that we have had long before I've existed. You know, it also kind of reminded me, too, that, you know, this is not just something that I need every once in a while. Every year, people have their New Year's resolutions that they're going to work out, they're going to lose weight, they're going to do this, they're going to climb a mountain, so on and so forth. And for me, I started a number of years ago, I I did away with New Year's resolutions, but instead would spend January kind of as a reflective time on my my overarching goals and the three overarching goals or um, areas of focus, if if you will, have been for my life uh, been to get my personal, my financial and my emotional um, spiritual self together and in order. And one thing that this song really reminds me of and what where it really struck the core of my year was authenticity. And I encourage everybody to just kind of do an authenticity check and make sure that you feel the way that you want to and make sure that you're living your 2021 the way you want to. I'm Zach Sweets. This has been the Zach Sweets Podcast.